so much that so much for Jesus Lord that he came to save us from all the sin and the darkness from ourselves Lord that we just can't give up Lord I just thank you so much for that and for the forgiveness that you give us Lord and ask that you just continue to be with our hearts Lord that you will touch us that we will understand your word through David Lord I ask that you be with him as he speaks Lord just gird him up and help him to to say what you have him to say Lord so that we may understand and take it out into the world to our families and our friends and to the people that we meet, Lord. I ask that you be with this service now and all these things that we ask in your holy name. Church, it is so good to be here today. It's, it's an honor, it's a privilege, I'm excited to be here. Honestly, a couple days ago, I didn't know if I was going to be able to be here. Uh, my wife and I got, got a little sick, and I uh, was running pretty high fever, actually. Don't worry, it's been over 24 hours, so I'm, I'm good now, I promise. I have the residual uh, kind of weakness, so I'm not going to be as energetic, which some of you are probably thinking, good, because you walk way too much up there, so I'll be probably standing right here a lot. But don't worry, next week I will be back and energetic, and ready to go. So, But I am excited to be here. I'm thankful. Thank you so much for all your prayers, too, um, and the prayers from so many others. And I am excited to be starting our community, uh, our community series today. Community. We're going to be going through this word community, this topic community. We're going to be breaking it down over the next few uh, weeks here. And today we're going to be talking about community, the individual call. The individual call. And this word community, it means with unity. With unity. We're going to be going through some questions like, what, what is community? What is community? What does this look like? How do I actually do community? Right? And wh- why is this even important? Why should I want to know what community is? And why is this biblical? How is this biblical? Those are the questions that we're going to be going through and a few more. And we're going to be kind of diving into this, this uh, topic as a whole of what community is for the next few weeks. Now, oftentimes, especially in relation to church, when we hear the word community, we'll think of a couple different things. We, we kind of, you know, oftentimes a lot of people have these ideas in their head of what community is. And one of those ideas for some people is like, man, these people are going to start like asking me to sell all my stuff and just like abandon everything, including part of my family, and move off into the middle of nowhere in some weird, creepy mansion with them. We're all going to live together, and dude, I ain't just, I'm not going to have that. There's no way. You could take that community stuff. I am out of here. There's no way I'm doing that. I mean, number and number two, you know, half of you probably snort. I don't want to deal with that. So, no, you can take that community stuff. I don't want it. And a lot of us kind of go to that direction, and we think, man, no, that's, that's a little too much. And then other people are kind of on the other side of it. They think, oh, community. You know, that, that's what we do on Sunday mornings when we kind of gather together on Sunday mornings and, you know, for about an hour and a half and maybe maybe every once in a while we'll, we'll go out for some coffee, maybe. Or, you know, maybe we'll, we'll just kind of, you know, get, get something to eat. But oftentimes, for so many people, it doesn't really happen. 
It doesn't really happen. Oftentimes, the only thing that we get, and, and so many Christians globally, we do this, is just Sunday mornings for an hour and a half. For an hour and a half, and that's it. See, the thing is, guys, we are called to community. We're called to community. We were created for community as Christians. We're created for this. And, but the thing is, we've gotten away from it as Christians. We've gotten away from this, especially in the church in America. And guys, it's so important for us. This is, this is vital to who we are. We were created for this. We were created for it. And we have to get back to what community is all about. See, community, it helps take us from this kind of kind of superficial relationship where we, we're kind of individualized. We're to ourselves. We're just private. Like, I'm just going to do me, right, as people say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on me, and you kind of focus on you, and we'll get together a little bit maybe on Sunday mornings, but, but that's kind of it. It takes us from that to this, this relationship where there's commitment, and, and it's just like we're doing life together as Christians, as the body of Christ that we're called to be, as one family that we're called to be, where we actually grow together. We grow and we actually heal. We help each other during those hard times in life. And we also, we also belong. We can belong because we're truly doing life together. We're truly acting like the family that God created us to be and that God calls us to be. The big idea of this sermon is as Christians, we are called to community with God and with others. As Christians, we are called to community with God and with others. And the thing is, guys, again, this isn't just a call from God if that's not enough. This is something we were literally originally created for. God created us for community, for unity with him and for community with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done in our life. Thank you so much for the redemption you've given us. God, thank you for the family that you've given us with this church. I thank you so much for Victory Church. God, I pray that you just move in and through the life of this church in mighty ways. Grow us closer to each other, Father, as a family. Teach us what this means. Teach us what your heart is for community, for family, God. And Father, help us to be a light to this world, Father, to the people out there that need you so incredibly much. And God, I pray you also give me energy today. I pray that you speak in and through me. Get me out of the way, Father. Get me out of the way and speak to your people. In your incredible name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. The main text that we're going to be in today is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Let's dive in this together as a church, starting with verse 25, which says that an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled. 
leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the same place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. Then when I get back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed him mercy, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. In verse 25, we're introduced to this guy. The first guy we're introduced to in this story is an expert in the law. Expert in the law. This guy was just a teacher is what he was. And he, he was just that. He was an expert. He was an expert at the law. He knew the law extremely well. Had so much of it memorized and knew it. He could quote scripture. But see, what we're going to learn from this guy is there's a difference in head knowledge that just gives us information and the heart behind the head knowledge. See, the heart behind the head knowledge, it not only gives us motivation to carry out that information, but it also tells us what's our motive for wanting to carry it out. What's our motive? We've got to know the motive, the heart behind it. In other words, we can ask ourselves, well, why do I want to know more about God? Like, why do I want to follow God? Why do I want to follow Jesus? Is it just to get a free ticket to heaven? Is that what it's about? Or is it because I love God so much? I understand what he's done for me, the gospel message, the sacrifice that he made, the redemption that he bought me. And I am compelled to move in his direction. I can't help to, and I don't want to. I can't help to move in the direction of Christ. It's not because I have to. It's not a head knowledge. It's a head knowledge that moves to the heart and compels us to move. And so we also see this expert of the law. He's kind of, it looks like he's calling out Jesus. And he's doing this in a public setting, asking this question of Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But see, back in that day and age, these, these experts of the law, these teachers of the law, so to speak, they would, they would actually get together in public arenas and they would just get together and discuss and debate theological issues. That's what they would do. So this was actually normal. What he, do, what he was doing looked normal to the people around him. And even the question that he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is something that they would often debate. So, so what this guy is doing to the rest of the crowd, it, it doesn't look weird. It's like, okay, yeah, they're talking about this again. Okay, well, let's see what Jesus has to say. But the thing is, again, it's not about the head knowledge. It's about the heart. Jesus doesn't look at, 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 you know, how much we know about the law, like this man. This man judged by the law, but Jesus judged by the heart. And he knew that this man's motives for asking this question were all wrong. They were all wrong. See, this guy wanted to trap Jesus. He was trying to trick him. He was trying to do it out in public. The reason he was trying to do that is because all these guys, these religious guys, they thought Jesus was either crazy, either, you know, nuts, or he was just like from Satan or something. They didn't believe that he was Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the son of God. And, and, they, saw and heard, they saw him doing things. They heard stories about him healing people and, and you know, claiming, basically claiming to be God. He's, he's forgiving people's sins. And only God can forgive sins. Who does this guy think he is? What is he doing? And so they're trying to take Jesus out. They're doing everything that they can to take him out. 
So that man is here intentionally asking this question. And he's doing it in a way to where it doesn't look weird to anybody else. But Jesus knows what he's trying to do. He's trying to trick this man. And see, how often, how often in life do we, just like this expert in the law, rather than following after God with our heart, we try to, we try to obey these rituals. We try to, try to do things to the T. If I, if I pray enough, if I read the Bible enough, if I go to church enough, if I, if I do this, if I do that, if I do enough good deeds, then I can kind of tip the scales, so, so to speak, and I can earn my way to heaven. I can earn my way to heaven. But guys, that's, there's no way that we can earn the grace of God. He's given that not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. Because he loves us. This expert in the law, he doesn't understand that. It's all about the heart. It's not about what we know up here. It's about what's in here. Jesus longs for relationship, guys. He longs for our heart. He longs for a heart that beats solely for him, that compels us to move in direction, not because it's forced, not because we can quote scripture, not because we pray all the time, because we do those things out of a love for him, a love for him. In verse 26, we see Jesus asking this man, so what is written in the law? You tell me, how do you read it? How do you read it? So this man goes up to Jesus, he's trying to trick Jesus, right? And in the process of trying to trick Jesus, what happens is Jesus kind of flips the tables on him. He sends this expert of the law back to the law. He schools this dude, is what he's doing. He's sending him back to the law. And the thing is, he's not sending him back to the law because the law saves. The law doesn't save, the law convicts. The law acts as a mirror. So we're, we're, we're looking at it, and it's not, it's not to like force us to look at it so to hurt us. He's like, look. Look at the things you're struggling with. I didn't create you to struggle with those things. Let me help you with that. Let me show you what's going on in your life so I can help you. The law convicts us so that people are, so that God can mold us into the person that he created us to be from the beginning. So we don't have to struggle with those things in our life that we hang on to, that baggage that we hang on to. The law convicts. And that's why Jesus sends this man back to the law. In verse 27, we see this, an, this man answering Jesus. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus, he compliments this guy later in verse 20, 28. He compliments him and basically says, yeah, you know, hey, great job, man. Great job. You knew scripture. He did. I mean, he could quote scripture. He knew it really well. Jesus is saying, great job. You knew it. This is a combination of Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5. But again, this speaks to the fact that God doesn't just desire head knowledge. And I'm not saying head knowledge is bad, guys. Don't get me wrong. But you can't stop there. God desires the heart. He desires our heart. A heart that beats solely for him. And it moves us in his direction. This, these teachers of the law, they thought that they could earn God's favor. They thought that they could earn their way into heaven. And see, for me, this kind of reminds me of the craziness in the story of the Tower of Babel. I think we've all, most of us anyways, heard the, tower, the story of the Tower of Babel. These guys create this story, or this story, this, <laughs> this tower, 
And they're trying to make it high enough to where they can actually reach God. They're like, hey, we're going to build a building so high that we're going to reach God. We're going to reach heaven. We're going to do this. I mean, that's just insanity. Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? These guys actually took that much time to try and do this. And look what happened. But see, this is just as crazy. What we see these Pharisees and these teachers of the law doing is just as crazy. They're trying to earn their way to God's favor. If I do enough, if I take enough steps in this direction, if I, if I you know, pray enough, if I get in the Word enough, if I memorize enough Scripture, if I do this ritual enough, if I, if I abide by this man-made tradition enough, if I do this, that, whatever, whatever else, that I can earn God's favor, I can impress Him, that I can somehow tip the scales and earn my way to heaven. How is that any different than what these guys did with the Tower of Babel? And how often do we as Christians fall into the same trap of Satan? This same trap where he's, he's just getting us doing circles, laps around ourselves, just you know, looking around for, for ways to earn God's favor when we can't do that. We try to, we try to do things like you know, good deeds, a spiritual check in the box. You know, I went to church today. Spiritual check in the box. I, I did my quiet time. Spiritual check in the box. And again, guys, these, guys, these things aren't bad. They're great. They're great. But these things do not earn our way to heaven. What is the motivation behind it? The heart behind it. As God cannot be bought with our petty efforts. You can't buy God's love. All God has ever wanted is your heart. The heart can't be bought. It can't be bargained with. It can't be taken captive. It must be submitted willingly with no strings attached. Otherwise, it is tarnished by man-made rituals and sin's deceptive grip. The only thing that will ever satisfy God is the belief in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, a belief and a surrender to what he has done for us, and a heart that beats solely for him. And longs for him. As David said, it pants for him. The scripture that this man refers to, that he, he gives Jesus, is found in Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. There's four different things that we see here. Four different things um, as far as loving God. The first one is the heart. The heart is at the central of our, of our uh, circulation, the center. And it's also the, the center of who we are. It's, this is where our, our passions, you know, come from. This is, where, uh, this is where our feelings, our desires, our affections come from. The next thing is our soul. This is our very life, our being, who we are. The next one is our strength. It refers to our mental and our moral capacities. And then finally, we see the mind. This is where our thoughts and our intellect lie. In other words, this is saying that we should love the Lord our God with all of our desires, feelings, affections, and passions, with all of our life, our very existence, and with all of our mental and moral capabilities, and with all, again, of our thoughts. This intentionally leaves room for absolutely nothing else. It leaves room for nothing else. We are to love God with absolutely everything that we have in us. Not holding back at all. This is what we are called to do. But this verse doesn't stop there, does it? We see it mention something else. We see it mention this word neighbor. Neighbor. And the question that stems from that is, man, well, 
what's my neighbor? Like, what is this, what is this neighbor exactly? You know what I mean? Like, we, we can all kind of give these basic examples, but, but really, what is a neighbor if this is so important? And see, this expert of the law, we see him ask the same question, what is my neighbor? But see, he knows the law. The reason he's asking this question, again, is out of the wrong motive. He wants to trap Jesus. He wants to trap Jesus, and he wants to do it publicly. So it says, verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my, ne- my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He's wanting to justify himself. The reason he's wanting to justify himself is because of his bias. You know, because there's some neighbors, let's be honest, that are easy to love. And then there's others that, man, it's really hard to love. You know, what about the people that just, I mean, you know, they don't even have the same beliefs as you. They, this guy doesn't even believe the same thing as me. He's got different morals. I mean, this dude is just, he's just awkward. I mean, I don't know. You know, he, this dude is, he's annoying. Well, what about your enemies? What about your enemies? This guy is trying to get out of this. He's trying to justify himself. Because it's easy to love the people that we want to love. But it's hard to love the people that we don't want to love. And so many people, so many of us think that we're high and mighty because, you know, we're, we're really good at, at loving and showing compassion, showing mercy to the people that we're closest to, like our family members or our, our friends or even our church members. You know, I, I would do anything for those people. I would even give them the shirt off of my back. I'll do anything for them. But then as soon as somebody else comes up, maybe it's an enemy, somebody that we don't want to love, and they come up, and they, they need our help with something, and they expect us to kind of show that same love. And we think, man, you're crazy. There is no way that I'm going to love this person, show compassion or mercy towards this person like I would my family member. Man, a lot of people would even say, man, you're not one of us. You're not one of us. I don't know you. You know, go away. That, I'm, this is my family over here. I don't know you. How many people do we see falling into that trap? But guys, we're falling into the trap of relational deception, Satan's trap, of relational deception. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to stay isolated. He doesn't want us to look outside these walls. He doesn't want us to look outside our little cliques. He wants us to stay isolated as tight as we can possibly get. And guess what? He's winning. If we fall into that trap, he's winning. Guys, we were created for community. We were created for community with God and with others. And we were called to love, to, to show love, compassion, and mercy to others. Just as Jesus has shown love, compassion, and mercy to us. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Did you catch that? If you love one another. Again, Satan and the world, they try to tell us, man, you're doing great. You're doing great. You, you know, hey, you're loving your family great. You got those friends over there, that little clique, you're doing great. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do with these people over here. But guys, we are called to love everybody that we come into contact with. There's no such thing as a clique in the kingdom of God. We're called to love everybody. And the word tells us that if they'll know us by our love, but we must love each other. Romans 5, 8 says, But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ did not wait until we deserved his love to give us love. And thank God he did not wait until I deserved his love to give me love. Because he would never give me love if he waited until I deserved it. He would never give it to me. I will never, ever, I will never deserve what he's done for me. We will never deserve what he has done for us. He stepped into our situation. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. And he hung on that cross. And even the people that were in the process of killing him, what did he do? God, forgive them. Forgive them. What an incredible picture of grace, mercy, and compassion. Thank God that Jesus did not wait for us. And we are called, guys, to do the same. We are called to love everyone that God puts into our path. All the others, all the neighbors in our life. In verse 30, it says, Jesus took up this question, this question of who is my neighbor. And when it says he took up, all it means is he's answering the question. That's all it's saying. Jesus is answering the question. And Jesus chooses to answer this question with a story. And the story starts out with a man. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Now, the distance from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles. And there was about a a 3,000, a little over actually, 3,000 foot um, uh, descent, I'm sorry, an elevation. And it was really kind of a treacherous pass. It, it, It wasn't a safe passage. There were a lot of places that robbers could lie and wait. And and robbers did lie and wait for these guys. And that's exactly what happened to this man. He was going along the path, and these guys not only robbed him, but they beat him half to death, and then they leave him there. And in verse 31, we're going to see what the first guy did that came along and saw this man. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest. And this guy, again, he knows the word of God. He knows the law. He's got it memorized. A lot of it, he's got it memorized. And he even teaches people the word. But what does he do? He passes by. How many of us know the word of God? We know what God's called us to do. And we can think of all these excuses that this guy had. You know what, man, I'm just so busy. I've got, you know, hey, I got a church event I got to get to. I got to, I'm sorry, buddy, I got to be preaching here in a little bit. I'm, I got to go. Hey, good luck. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to keep on going here. All right, man, I'm just so tired. It's been a busy day. I don't have any energy. I'm not, I'm not even going to be any good to this guy. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm just going to keep on going, right? Or, or what about this? Well, what, what, about, what about the robbers? Are, are they gone? What if they're hiding? What if this is a trap? I'm just going to keep on going. Or, most likely, what he said is, I don't really know this guy. I don't even really know this guy. I mean, yeah, I wish him well. Hopefully he doesn't die. I don't know him. I'm sure there's somebody else back there. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm sure somebody else will get him. Drug it off the shoulder like it's nothing. Keep on going and just completely forget about this man. 
That's dying. And again, 17 miles and a treacherous road. There is no way that this man can make it back on his own. He is going to die. He's going to die. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was flat, but it's not. He's going to die. Well, we're going to see what this other guy that comes along right after the priest does. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. He too passed by this guy. And again, he's probably telling, to, telling himself, you know, hey, I'm, I'm way too busy. I got too much going on. I got to get home to the kids. You know, I got, I got to get some work done. I got to make some money, pay the bills. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm way too tired. You know, what about these robbers? Where are they at? Or probably again, I don't know this guy. Hopefully he doesn't die, but I don't know him. So I'm just not going to worry about it. And most likely, that's what he did. And that was the excuse that he told himself. Now, guys, I'm not, ta- I'm not saying to us that we need to meet the needs of every single person that we come into contact with. I'm not saying that. You're not God, okay? You're not going to be able to meet the needs of everybody that you come into contact with. He doesn't expect you to be God. But what God longs for is for people that will refuse to pass by the situations and instead for people that will look for other people in need. They will be diligent about looking for those things rather than just simply passing by. They'll refuse to pass by and do absolutely nothing. In verse 33, we're going to see what this third man does. It says, But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. And the thing about this Samaritan that is important for us to know is the fact that this guy was an enemy to the Jews. He was a sworn enemy. They wanted nothing to do with this guy. And so in this story that Jesus is telling this expert of the law, again, out in public, so all these other people are hearing it, when he's telling him that two Jews, including one of them being a priest, pass by this guy, don't even care, and then a Samaritan, one of their enemies, is the one that showed mercy and compassion, this would have been completely humiliating to these guys. Completely humiliating. We're going to read what this guy did, this Samaritan. Verse 34, it says, he went over to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an end, and took care of him. This Samaritan, he didn't just stop for a spiritual check in the box. He didn't just stop and say, man, here, let me... Let me pray for you really quick. Here, let, let me give you some water. Here, here, you need a little bit of money? I'm going to pray for you, buddy. Good luck. Good luck. All right, spiritual check in the box. God loves me. I'm, I'm just such a great Christian. He didn't just stop there, man. This guy went the extra mile. He bandaged this man. Put him, he had to pick him up, put him on his animal. And who knows how many miles this guy had to take him. And he's having to walk next to his animal during this process. And then he took him to the end, and it doesn't end there. He continues taking care of him. 
This is his enemy, guys. His enemy, who would have had nothing to do with him if he wasn't half dead. In a similar way, Jesus did not just simply help us. Jesus did not simply stop and and, and look at our situation. He completely just submersed himself into our situation by becoming a man and taking on our sin and our debt and our shame and dying in our place. Jesus went the extra mile just as this Samaritan did. And the Samaritan didn't stop there. He kept on going. It says in verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Two denarii, that would have been two days' wages. Two days' wages. So this guy doesn't just stop, potentially even risking his life. Pick this guy up, put him on his animal, bandage him, take him to the inn. He obviously stood over, stayed with him overnight because it says the next night he paid the money. So he stays with him overnight in this inn, taking care of him probably throughout the night. Then after that, he pays the innkeeper two days' wages and says, if you need any more, when I come back, I will pay whatever is needed to take care of this guy. Whatever you need. The Samaritan not only shows us what it means to truly show mercy to others. There's no logical reason why this Samaritan did what he did. There's no logical reason why on earth would he do that much, continuing to go the extra mile with this guy. But the thing is, guys, mercy, compassion, and love, it doesn't look for reasons. It doesn't need excuses. Mercy, compassion, and love, it simply looks for people to respond to. It looks for people to show mercy, compassion, and love to. It doesn't want excuses. It wants people to love and people to help. A Samaritan, he doesn't just show us a picture of Jesus Christ who came into our situation, redeemed us, saved us, and carried us home to freedom. This Samaritan also represents who God originally created us to be. Who God originally created us to be. We were created to show compassion, to show love, to show mercy to each other. We were created to be good neighbors, to love God above all else, and to love each other, to do community and life together in perfect unity and harmony. That's what we were created for. But when sin entered the world, just like this man in this situation who was robbed of everything and left half dead, our robber was Satan. And he stole our very identity from him, from us. He stole everything from us. Absolutely everything. And then he left us half dead with absolutely no hope. Just like this man had no hope, we had no hope. And Jesus Christ stepped into our situation. This man could say, but a Samaritan, but a Samaritan. But we as Christians can say, but Jesus, but Jesus. He stepped into our situation when we didn't deserve it. In verse 36, we see this man, this expert of the law, acknowledging the fact 
that the, good, that the good Samaritan is actually the one that showed mercy. See, he knew the law. Jesus asks him, which one of these three was a neighbor to this man? He knew the law. He couldn't get away from it. The one that showed mercy and compassion. It was his enemy. The Samaritan was the one. And he had to say the words out in public. And he just says the one that showed mercy, the one who showed compassion. The Samaritan. Jesus used this man's knowledge along with a story to get him to the truth. Because, guys, knowledge alone will not get us to the truth. Knowledge acts like a conduit. God uses it like a conduit to the heart to bring us to the truth. This man judged by the law, but Jesus judges by the heart. He judges by the heart. The truth is, guys, being a neighbor, it has nothing to do with geography. It has nothing to do with race. Nothing to do with citizen, citizenship, nationality. It's simply about being present. Showing mercy, compassion, and love to anyone that come, comes into our path. Anyone at all that God puts into our life. That's what being a neighbor is all about. In verse 37, the last part of that verse, we see Jesus' command. Jesus' command to this, this expert of the law. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. And see, in this story, again, Jesus intentionally uses a Samaritan man because he's not telling this man, go and be a neighbor to the people that it's easy to be a neighbor to, the people that you already love, your family. And all. Be a neighbor to everyone, even to the Samaritan the Samaritan who was a sworn enemy who showed love and compassion to one of his enemies, you go and do even that. Go and do that. And God calls us to do the same. Go and do the same. Show love, show compassion, show mercy. To who? To our neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Anyone that you come into contact with. Look around. Look around in this room. These are your neighbors. When you step outside of these walls, look around. Those are your neighbors. When you go to work, when you go to the store, when you go to you know, get some gas, look around. Those are your neighbors. Everywhere you go, look around. Those are your neighbors. And when you come into contact with one of your enemies, someone who's hurt you, someone who's spread lies or rumors about you, that too is your neighbor. Now I want to pause here for a second, for just a moment. I want to return to Luke 10, 27. 10, 27, which says, He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch that? Love your neighbor as yourself as yourself. God calls us to love him first. Also to love our neighbors and to love ourselves. It's a command from God. We are called to love ourselves and so many people struggle with that. You know, it's different things that Satan uses to keep us from loving ourselves like insecurities, depressions, struggles, whatever it may be. He tries to keep us from loving ourselves. Because we hit on this last week, knowing who we are in Christ, 
knowing that you are not the situations you step into. You are not the struggles that you face. You are not the, the past that seeks to haunt you. You're not the fear that seeks to cripple. You, you are a child of God when you have been bought with a price. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are loved. You are a son or daughter of God who has been made with incredible purpose, value, and significance. That's who you are. And guys, let me ask you something. How can we fully love God and others if we don't even love ourselves? How can we do it? We can't. It's a command. Love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anytime we see other people, we hear Jesus saying, go and do the same. And oftentimes the need of others, they're not, they're not as, as you know, well seen as in this story where this guy had physical wounds, right? His was obvious. It was obvious this dude was half dead. He was dying. But the thing is, we all have needs, don't we? We all have hurts and struggles. Every single one of us struggles. No matter who you are in this life, this side of heaven, we are going to struggle. I have struggles still, and I will continue to have struggles until I reach the other side with Jesus. Thank God one day I won't have to, but today I do. John Baker, the, the um, founder of Celebrate Recovery, he says, everybody has hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Everybody. Hurts, habits, or hang-ups. None of us are free from that. And a lot of times these are easily missed. But see, maybe the, mer the mercy, the compassion, the love that God is calling you to isn't to go and bandage somebody's physical wounds. Maybe it's just simply to give somebody an encouraging word. Maybe it's to just show kindness to somebody. Maybe it's just to go up beside somebody and, and say, look, how can I help you today? What can I do? Or maybe it's to forgive your enemies and then show them kindness. I want to invite the, the praise team up at this time. That's a great way to know that you're being a neighbor to the people around you is by asking yourself, how would I like others to treat me? How would I like others to treat me? Have you ever wished that you had help with something when you didn't have anybody to help you? You ever wish you had a kind word? You ever been going through a time in your life where you just wish, man, I just wish somebody would just acknowledge that I'm here. I'm, I'm so depressed right now. I feel like I'm just at the end of my ropes. I just wish somebody would just acknowledge that I'm here and tell me that I matter. Have you ever wished that? You ever had that moment in your life? Jesus says, go and do the same. When you see other people, think of the Good Samaritan. Think of Jesus and go and do the same. As we sing this last song together, I want to encourage you. Open up your heart to God. Ask him, how can I be a better neighbor to the people around me? Listen to him. And as we sing, respond to him. As we sing, respond.